message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Reserve that till after to see if whatever you think about it. But um, just to make sure we're on the same page here, I want to... I want to do a little back and forth for a minute with, uh, I want you to think of the term color, okay? Not your color of what you registered a couple of weeks ago. The reds were over here and the blues and the greens and purples and oranges. But I want you to think in terms of what you've heard said before. For example, though your skin, skin, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Okay? Good. You're on the same page, right? We got that? Try this one. It's not, they're not all biblical now, so you just have to listen. He was so angry, he saw red. Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I would have chosen. Okay. His heart was so evil, deceitful, and sinister, it had grown... Oh, okay. Yeah, you only get one. That's it. Just one. But you got the first one right. That's right. That's the way we think. Okay? It had grown black inside. And, and the last one. She was so jealous. She was green with envy. Okay. Just want to make sure we have all those colors down. Because that will come into play later. And, and you just kind of shelve that for just a minute. Okay? Just shelve that back. Just wanted to make sure that as we got started, we're on the same on the same page with this. But I want to take us to Mark chapter 1. And you have to, a little bit as you're getting there in Mark chapter 1, you have to understand where, kind of how I see the Bible. I see the Gospels as the hub of the Bible. Okay? And everything before was leading up to the Gospels. Anything after the Gospels is sort of a commentary or a how-to of living out the Gospel is the way that I see that. Everything centers on the Gospel. And in the Gospels, Mark is kind of the hub of the Gospels because everything that Mark has is kind of expounded on in the other Gospels and and developed. But Mark is, I call it, even though it says Mark, I'm kind of, in my research, I believe Peter is the mind behind Mark. If we could rename it, I would want to rename it the Gospel according to Peter because it just looks like Peter. One of the words that occurs over and over in Mark is the word immediately. Immediately. Don't you know Peter was that kind of a guy? It's just immediately. I'm going to react to everything. That's how we see him in the Scripture. Peter is like that. As a matter of fact, I think if, if I were given Peter a color, it would be emerald. Except it's the name of the chef out of New Orleans. You know that guy? Because he's always going, bam, there it is. And that's kind of what Peter's doing when he says, and immediately, it's like I can see Peter going, and bam, Jesus did this! You know? He's just excitable. And, and uh, what's the other word I'm looking for that Peter is whenever he... he uh, anyway, he's quick to act before he thinks about it. Would be where I would go with that. But anyway, let's consider, as we look at this in, in verse 14 and 15, It says that after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came or went into Galilee. 
preaching the good news of God. He says this as he preaches. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is fulfilled. It's time. There's a change in the atmosphere of the world because time has changed. There's a change in time that that there was this going on. The old covenant was going on. Everything up until this point was all lumped into one place, and now everything is changing. Jesus has come on the scene. He brings the gospel to us, and he says the kingdom of heaven is near. It's no longer distance. You don't have to go through a priest anymore. I'm bringing you good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. You can touch it. You can, uh, you can administrate it on earth. As a matter of fact, I heard someone just recently say, Our destiny of believers, as believers, is heaven. We will end up in heaven as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. But our mission is to bring heaven to earth. It's to appropriate the open window of heaven on earth. And the things that Jesus did, we shall do even greater things by his own word that we should do. And so Jesus brings this good news coming to us. The kingdom, the time is fulfilled. It is now time And the kingdom of God has come near, is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now what must it have been like to hear that message and comprehend it even? It would have been hard to believe. You're absolutely right. It would have been hard to believe. Somebody coming today and saying, hey, I believe we're at a pivot in time. I believe we're at a time when the clock that was clicking, you know how it is when you're watching a sporting event and everything is clicking by the second, by the second, by the second, and when it gets down to 59 seconds, then it's clicking by the tenth. You see that rolling off like that. If somebody came and says, okay, in the scheme of time, I believe we're in the tenths. We're in the rapid click of time. Or maybe you would, you would think of it more as a timer set giving us so much time left and it's ticking down and you can see it and it's closer than you have time to do anything about it. And you feel that sense. I think that's kind of the sense they're having here is this sense of awe, this sense of wonder, this sense of what does it mean and what can I do and how can I be a part of it. And I would love for us to have that same sense of here it is, 2015, What does it mean? How can I serve God? How can I be a part of what God is doing? And and is this different? Is this a different time? Not because of 2015, but because of the things that we can see happening in the world around us and asking the questions. See, Jesus was ushering in the age of grace. But we are told that that has a time limit in the Scripture that the age of grace will come to an end, a culmination, they call it the time of the Gentiles, that that will end and Jesus is going to come back. And I I remember Pastor Darrell speaking in 2 Peter 3 last week, talking about in the last days, the very thing that would tell us that the time is near would be people saying, the time's not near. You've been saying that ever since Jesus was here. And went back. There would be scoffers, mockers, people who would argue against it and make fun of anybody who 
dared to believe that these were real. Things were going to happen to us. But I believe we are in the beginning of the end of the age of grace. Now, I am not telling you I know how much time we got left. There's a difference. There's a difference. But I want to, you know, I would call the title of my message on the edge of a movement. When I'm done, you may call it the what-if message. And you'll see as we go forward what I'm talking about. But I want to take you to the vision that the Apostle John had on the Isle of Patmos recorded in the book of Revelation. Chapter 4, verse 1, John says, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And I want to focus on that. What must take place after this? What is going to take place that is actually, we can track it as telling us the end is near, the time is coming, the momentum is picking up steam, that we can see things happening one after the other, and that we are on the edge of a movement of God. Maybe not on the edge. Maybe not on the edge. Now let's read in chapter 6. There were seals that the Lamb of God, which had been slain and risen from the dead, him only had the authority and the right to open these seals. And I want to show you the first four of these seals. Anybody here a fan of the series Sleepy Hollow? Anybody watch that? I I did, but I began to get agitated because it's like we have no power against. There's no hope for that, that, that it's really up to man and not God. And that's not true. It's not true. It was entertaining, but it always agitated me. And it made me think, however, to go to it and begin to research it. And let me, let me just share with you what has been pounding on my heart as I read these things. He says in Revelation 6, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there was a white horse. The horseman on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out as a victor to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its horseman was empowered to take peace from the earth so that the people would slaughter one another. And a large sword was given to him. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse. The horseman on it had a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice from the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the olive oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. The horseman on it was named Death, and Hades was following after him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. I want to stop there. There are seven of these. There are seven trumpets to be sounded. There are seven bowls to be poured out. And it's just 
I mean, there's a progression of things that happen that tell us what is going to happen in the last days or the end times. And some of it happens after we're taken out of here anyway on what we call the rapture. But I want you to, to track with me on this in the sense that, as John said, I will show you things that must happen, things that must come to pass. And I want to ask you what if. As we read the first one, and the seal is open, and a horse is white, the horseman is white, and what were we looking at a minute ago that that white might represent? Purity. What did you say? I'm sorry. Our sins are covered. Okay, it's white. It's purity. It represents who, who wears the white hat in the cowboy movies? The good guy wears the white hat in the cowboy movies, right? So I'm thinking that the horse represents for us in these things motivation. What is the motivation of this, this movement that's taking place here? Which I believe it, it initiates a movement that something is happening here. And I believe the beginning motivation of this is definitely a pure, a noble, a, a heartfelt desire. And, and I kind of want to ask you a what if to track with me here, right? What if... At some point in history, not too long ago past, an idea emerged, a noble idea emerged among a group of people that all men, now, and you need to understand, this was a different idea than what had been going on for the rest of, of time in most of the world governments. It's an idea that emerged among a group of people that all men were created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights. What if these people who bought into this ideal got together, formed a militia, fought a war, while acknowledging that they were aided by divine providence and defeated arguably the greatest empire the world had ever known? As John Wilson, the Scotsman, said, the sun never sets on the British Empire. And what if... Those people then formed a government with the words and noble purpose. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, fought many wars since for the one express purpose that government of the people, for the people, and by the people should not perish from the face of the earth. And these people became the champion of the cause of free people with the right to govern themselves and, by the way, to worship or not according to the dictates of their own heart, which affects you today, this morning, sitting right here. What if those people, the leader of those people, became known as the leader of the free world? What if that or something similar to it is what we are seeing as the white horse enters to go forth and conquer. He's given a crown indicating government. He's given a bow that indicates some sort of militia or army, some sort of weaponry, some sort of organization, an intent to go forth in victory and to conquer. Now, someone asked me as I was sharing this with them, they said, well, why now? Why? Because as... as Everyone does say, and the reason they have a reason to scoff is that people have said for ages, well, I think now's the time because I can see this. Well, I would, I would say in answer to that, 
there has never been a time in the world where the world was united. So small, so able through technology, through travel, through everything we can do. It's just amazing to me, a couple of Sundays ago, at 5 a.m., I left my motel in Miami, and at 2, I was home in Lawrenceville that afternoon. That's amazing. You think about it. How long would it have taken people before this day and time to travel that far? Something happens on the other side of the world. I was thinking about this the other day as well. We have to consider more happening. When we wake up and turn on the news or get a report off the Internet or whatever it is, we are considering crises going on worldwide today. Before this day and time, what crisis did we consider? What happened on the farm? It's different today. I know every generation has said the same thing. But really, up until the last 200 years, when this all began to pick up momentum, you couldn't really see this being fulfilled as a worldwide government thing. But today we certainly could. We know that the movement, they don't even hide it anymore. They have catchphrases, world governance. One world order. You're right. They have those things. They don't even hide it from us anymore or argue against it. And I'm just saying, what if? Now, I would also say this. You remember, if you've read the Revelation, as John first went up into heaven and he sees Jesus, I'd say Jesus, as the Lamb of God which had been slain but was now alive and standing with in, in, around the throne of God, near the throne of God. And he sees the Lamb of God there. But later on, he comes through and John says, Oh, look, there's the, what? Lion of Judah. So we have this, yes, he's the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah, but I saw him as the Lamb of God, and now I see him. And it just, it just, it's like, who? It's not schizophrenic, okay? It's just that... It's hard to nail that down, and we see not, not a transformation in Jesus, so to speak, but a fulfillment of it. But, and as I looked at what might be going on, I also saw that the, white, the rider on the white horse sure does resemble the second coming of Christ. But it's not. So what would that make it? Huh? It would make it an antichrist. Now, even though this movement may have started with a noble purpose, could it have been hijacked? I mean, if, if it were that this democracy movement, United States or whatever you want to call it, were it, what happened that to be an American is to consider yourself a Christian? Is that right? No. What does it make? How do you become a Christian? By being an American citizen? Personal faith in Jesus Christ and obedience, right? That's how you become a Christian. And so somewhere down the road, maybe not intentionally, but because of the pride of people, 
thinking themselves to be the greatest nation there ever was, rose up and thought they were, you know, I got this. We're the Savior of the world. We're the police of the world system. And what did we become? Well, we probably ought to move on from that, hadn't we? What if? Now, what if there was a group of people who were so angry and passionate, I don't know how else to describe it, that they, and they were given the power to take peace from the earth, globally speaking. What if there was a movement of people like that? What would you call them? Huh? If I were writing a book on this, I would title it, ISIS Rides the Red Horse. Now, am I a prophet? We don't know yet, do we? We don't know yet. But I'm saying, what if? Because, and, and I apologize to the young people in here, if it's our fault at all, you will never know the world I grew up in. We were talking about this week. When, when daylight came and I got up and left the house, I didn't have anybody tracking me. I ran the woods. I went from neighbor to neighbor. I had a route that I rode with my bicycle that was 20 miles. You know what? They knew when I got hungry, I'd be home. And there was nobody out there looking to steal me and enslave me and put me in a place of terror. But we live in an age of terror. As a matter of fact, on high alert, what's it called? The terror alert is rated by what? Color. And what's the highest alert? Red. Now, is that a clue? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I don't believe any other time in history, I believe we are in a place in time in history where this, for the first time, is able to be fulfilled and we can see it that that... Some people, and, and listen to the, the, this rider on that horse, on this red horse, his motivation is anger or ire or passion of some sort, and he, he's vengeful, and he has a sword. Now, that sword can be literal because we see people being beheaded, don't we? Especially Christians, but we see even Islamic people being beheaded who don't go along with what these people are saying. But we know that when we're told to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. What if that's a clue to us? That the people are following a word they think is from God. What word would that be? Quran? What if? Now, as we move forward, this is going to be a little bit more. Remember, John said these are things that must happen. 
And I'm saying this to you to challenge you. I don't, I'm not trying to strike any kind of fear in our hearts. Listen, we know what the end of the book says, right? There's victory. There's victory. But what I do want you to see is that we have lived in safety for so long and we've become complacent and that we can gather in freedom to worship and to seek out truth. And, and, and it's not happening that way all over the world. Millions of people are dying for their faith in Christ across the world. I didn't even think to track that for you, but let's go to the guy riding the black horse. I'm going to ask you a question. What's more valuable than money? I'm sorry, I heard several things. Power? Oil? Okay. Your soul? What's more powerful than oil? Ha! Ah, is it? It's what I think. When you don't have anything else, what do you need above all else? Something to eat. Something to eat. The guy riding the black horse comes and he has in his hand a scale, it says. And he is issuing order. And that order is to do what? Ration food. That order is to ration food. This is coming upon the world. Now, you might say it's happened before. 1932-33, a guy named Joseph Stalin figured out to ration, rationing food, he could create genocide and kill between six, they're not sure exactly how how many, six and 20 million people in the Ukraine by starving them to death, rationing food. So it's not an unprecedented idea on the face of the earth. But here's where it gets uncomfortable. 1974, a man named Henry Kissinger did a study and issued a recommendation to the government of the United States of America that if we would learn to ration food, we could control third world countries. And it was signed into order in 1974, 74, by 1975, by Gerald Ford. That that would be a strategy that even our own government would use. And then recently, that order was amended and signed into an executive order that we could use that strategy against the people of the United States of America. And the order says that anywhere food is stored belongs to the federal government. Period. You got any food stored at your house? Have you felt? Are you feeling me here? Are you feeling me here? People who work against that strategy are working against this. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying full-blown, but here's what I'm saying. I think the seal has been broken on the white horse. I think, now this is just Jackie, the gospel according to Jackie. I'm not, thus saith the Lord stuff here. I think the seal has been broken on the red horse. 
and he rides, and that we can see these two things, the possibility that these two things are in full-blown order. The guy on the black horse hasn't started taking effect worldwide yet, but we can certainly see. It's, you know, if you say, now here, here's what we've got to think of. When the government started hoarding bullets, what did the population of the United States start doing? <laughs> Buying bullets and guns, man. They're ready for this. Some of them are hoping for it. Some people are hoping for it. But what can you not fight? Famine. Can't fight it. And especially a people who will say to you, Hey, if you'll just cooperate with me, I'll make sure your family has enough to eat. Now, if you read that, he's saying, I'm going to let you have certain things, but certain things you can't have. You can't have the wine and the olive oil, but you can have grain. So it's going to be meted out to us of what they think we need, the people of the earth. I think it will be worldwide because we see orders worldwide. The U.N. is on board with this, people. The U.N. is on board. Is this the time? I have no idea. Who knows the time and the season? We know that things have happened before. We know that Hitler knew rationing food was a way to control the populace. He knew that and stated it. So you see things that are happening right around us. And then there's the, the, the fourth one. And I just lump these together because there are only four people riding horses in, in this whole account. And the fourth one's very strange. Whenever it was first translated, if you go to King James, I used to read, I remember reading from a kid because I was interested in this stuff. From a kid, it was a pale horse, a pale horse. But as I began as an adult and, and studying the background, the etymology of words and languages, and it realized, I realized that the, the original language says green. And in my translation, it just meshed them together, pale green horse. And I can imagine anybody taking up to translate the Bible into English and going green, there's no such thing as a green horse. Right? So what's he telling us? What is the color all about? Motivation. White is kind of a noble purpose. Red is kind of a, a passionate purpose. When I say passion, and I'm not talking about love passion, and I'm talking about something else. Of course, it could be love passion because of their dedication to what they think God is. Black represents something sinister. But what's the motivation of green? We saw that green represents in our minds what word? Jealousy or envy. Could be. Could very well be. But I want you to notice that on the horse rides a certain rider this time. It's not just a person with these things. It's one person. What's the name of the rider? Death. And followed close behind. I don't know if it's double, bareback, I don't, you know, or there's another following behind is Hades. 
So what does that tell us about this movement? Ah, it's, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. You might say demonic. Because look at what their intent is and what the power they are given to do. What is it? Yeah. A lot of things there, huh? Given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by wild animals of the earth. That's a demonic movement. You know, Jesus, I, I, I struggled a long time trying to understand why Jesus would cast out a legion of demons into a herd of pigs. Why would he give them that right? And if for nothing else, it tells me that demons can possess animals. Now, somebody would say, well, that was fulfilled back in the Roman days whenever they threw Christians to the lions. You know, I can see that. I can see that it could have been, but I can't see where any of the rest of this actually could have taken place before our time, and we know that if this is the clock ticking, that it didn't take place before our time. It's either taking place now or it will happen after, right? Does that make logical sense to you? Because it's about things that must happen. As the end winds down, is there are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath that will be released on the people of the earth. I don't know if you knew it or not. Now, now I want to tell you where I'm tracking with green. There is a movement. You might notice that they're trying to force people who don't want to be a part of it into the Kyoto Treaty. There's definitely an argument about global warming. What's the design of that? You know what it's designed for? Control. It eventually gets us to control. Now, I'm not telling you that we should not be people who are responsible for the earth, keepers of the earth, that we shouldn't be ecologically responsible what I'm telling you that there is within what is called the green movement. It may be splinter, I don't know, but there is a group of people who believe, here's the deal, they believe that mankind is a scourge upon the face of the earth, or in their words, is a cancer in the world. And that we need to eliminate the majority of the population of mankind. They have a big following. Big follow. And we need to eliminate the majority of the population of mankind. Now, we know that these are going to be able, before they're caught or before whatever their time is up or whatever, they will be able to kill how many people? It says a fourth. What's the population of the world? So we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of two billion people, one and a half to two billion people. This movement will be responsible for their death. And they will incorporate everything else that's happened. They will incorporate the sword, the famine, 
and plague and wild animals into their onslaught on the face of the earth. These things must happen. Where's Elbert County? Anybody know? Pardon? That way? How far from here? About an hour. That's what my GPS said, or my map system said. At the highest point in Elbert County, Georgia, there's something called the Stone Georgia Stonehenge. Georgia Stonehenge. And on there it is, right there, on your screen. That's what it looks like. And written on there are the principles of how the world should operate once the apocalypse happens. In other words, once the things that we just read about happen, this is how, this is how the world should operate. I want to give you the principles, the guiding principles. And I'll read to you. This is out of somebody else. I didn't, I, you know, I, certainly I had to research to get this. I haven't visited this place. I don't know except what I can read online about it. And you Google Georgia Stonehenge. It's amazing what's there. But here's what the principles that are written on these stones in 12 languages, 12 different languages, says this. What's most widely agreed upon, this is an, a writer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution several years ago. What's, mostly, what's most widely agreed upon based on the evidence available is that the, the guidestones are meant to instruct the dazed survivors of some impending apocalypse as they attempt to reconstitute civilization. Guide number one was, of course, the real stopper, he says. It says, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. How many do they want to kill? Half a billion survivors is what they're looking for. There were already 4.5 billion people on the planet at the time that this was built, and, and it was dedicated March 22, 1980. Just so you know. March 22nd, 1980. At that time, it would have been um, 8 out of 9 people had to die. Now it's more like 12 out of 13 people have to die in order to fulfill their guiding principle. The instruction was echoed and expanded by tenant number 2. Guide reproduction wisely. Improving fitness and diversity. Okay. It didn't take a great deal of imagination, he says, to draw an analogy to the practices of, among others, the Nazis. Guide number three instructed readers to unite humanity with a living new language. All right. And we know that in the Revelation, by the way, uh, there will be those who... The, the Revelation warns of a common tongue, tongue or language and a one-world government as accomplishments of the Antichrist himself. Number four, rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. The last six guidelines come like this. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally resolving external disputes in a world court, avoid petty laws and useless officials, 
I'm kind of liking it to some extent. Balance personal rights with social duties, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite, sing kumbaya. Here's the last one. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Now, why in the world, first Sunday in January 2015, 2015, would anybody want to bring a message like this? I'm going to tell you why. Because I am of the opinion that we can no longer play church, Christianity. These things must happen. Now, I don't think, probably, I don't think I will live long enough to see it full-blown. My age, I don't think I'll live long enough to see it full-blown. But your kids will. And your grandkids will. Young people, are you faithfully prepared for the world that's coming? Dad, Mom, are you preparing your kids to face the world that's coming? Now, in the past when I've spoken about things that would happen, that would, people would come against me because there is a perception that being Christians, we don't ever have to face any kind of thing like this. And I would send you to Hebrews chapter 11 called the faith chapter where it says those people were sawn asunder, drawn and quartered, beheaded, had to live wearing animal skins, dwelled in caves, seeking and roaming about the earth looking for something to eat. And they were people who the world was not worthy of because of their faith. We have an Americanized Christianity or a Western Christianity that believes that if you trust Jesus, he solves all this. And I tell you that the Word says, if you trust me, you will face even persecution. You will face it. It doesn't solve your problems. It may create more. And young people, I hate to tell you that. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm actually very positive. I am excited that we're sitting on the edge of the move of God toward the end time. I'm excited about that. But what I'm not excited about is a people who sit in comfort and think it's always going to be this way. I don't have to prepare myself to face what's coming I don't have to be a real follower of Jesus Christ. I can pursue the things of this world. I can, I can mix my faith with my involvement with whatever. You fill in the blank. Things you know you shouldn't be involved with. And that, that's not just young people. That's daddy. Maybe mom. But what I am telling, the danger that I feel of sharing this with you is that you become legalistic, 
spiritually dampening people because you want to protect everybody from this. And I want to say, I want to challenge you to prepare them to be victorious. Conquerors. People who can stand against anything, even in the face of sure death. Certain death. And that's why I wanted this to be my first time. 2015. It's been on my heart for one, but for the other, it just seems like every year we make resolutions that we don't keep. Every year we intend to do spiritually better that we fail at doing. And we just wait till the next year rolls around till it bothers us again and we say something about it. And I just want to ask you. Can you afford to spend another year waiting till next year? The first thing that we need to do about this is pray. Some people might be ready to form a militia, take up arms, what, what a survivalist. That's not what I'm saying. The, the Bible says that, G, that God told people facing those hard times, not these, but other hard times, n- not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that will be how we overcome. I, if, you know, I kind of think there's a possibility that these kind of things are contingency plans. That what we've seen here, every so often the enemy gets ready to initialize this. And the people of God see it coming, and they repent, and they fall on their faces, and they cry out to God, and God pushes it back for a while. I could see that happening when Stalin was making his move, when Hitler was making his move, when other things were happening like that. And people, the people of God fell on their faces, repented, and God said, not now. And he pushed it back for a while. It's a possibility. And... and. I go with David who said, in a crisis, let's pray. We don't know what God might do. So that's what I call us to do as people. That we begin to rely on God again. Not on our ability to preach messages and gather crowds and um, be good people, that people will just automatically see our faith and want to repent and fall. Those, those are good things. Those are good things. But the other thing we need to do is we need to gather people to the gospel. Make disciples who will make other disciples. Who, and you know what can happen? We can change the world. God can change the world through people who obey that way. And we can delay this even longer because God is not slack concerning these things, but what He's doing is He's patient. You remember this? He's patient because He doesn't want people to perish. He doesn't want anybody to die not knowing Christ. Right? Pray. Be serious about it. Um... Prepare yourself to be spiritual leaders in your families, to your friends, neighbors. Prepare your children to be faithful. And if you don't know how or what to do, don't just go do it off by do it by yourself. Ask people. 
ask people for help. There's strategies and plans available to help you with this. And that would be a third thing that I would say, do gather together with other people to pray, other people to prepare, because God gave us two things. Out of Zechariah, he gave Israel two things. He said, unite, unite, and favor. I'm going to give you unity, and I'm going to give you favor because of your unity. And change the world by loving more people into the kingdom and by sharing your faith. Ricky? So that would be what I would call you to at this moment. With your families where you are, if anybody feels the need to kneel with your family, you're welcome here. But I just ask you to gather with someone and pray right now. If, you, if you're confused by what I said, pray for clarity. If you're not sure you believe anything that I said today, pray for clarity. Pray for direction. I just submit to you what the Lord put on my heart so that you can consider it and so that you can find in it perhaps motivation to live a year allowing God to use you and to take over your full surrender in service to Him and your family, your friends, your neighbors. Father, I pray. When I get to this point, I'm always at a loss for words because I know you're doing things in people's lives that I have no clue about. I don't know the context of where they live what goes on in their families and their lives. I don't know, Lord, what's going to happen to them as the year progresses. I don't know the doubts that they're facing. But you do. And so I ask and I pray to you that as we sit here and surrender and submit our own souls and spirits to you to move us, that you would move us. Each one according to his need but all of us together to pursue you, to honor you, to obey you, and to surrender. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.